Hello and welcome to the Stratford East podcast. This is our third episode of the Burn It Down interview series where we're speaking to each of the writers and directors that have created short 20-minute urgent political plays. We'll be talking to writer Timberlake Wurtenbaker and director Anthony Lau about their piece The Expendables, which kicks off the Burn It Down series on Tuesday the 19th of April. You can get tickets to that at stratfordeast.com. I am joined by writer Timberlake Wurtenbaker and director Anthony Lau, and you are both part of our Burn It Down series um, with your play, The Expendables, and you actually kick off the series, um, you're the first ones up. So I wondered if you could tell us briefly what the play is about. I, I can talk about it a bit, but you probably understand it as well as I do, Anthony. I mean, I the play is about... Um, uh, the play is about what value we put on things and how we judge the worth of something, whether something is economically worthy uh, or there's something called humanity still left. And th- those are really the questions that I was asking myself as I was writing it. Um, it's always hard to say what a play is about, but I can always say what sort of questions were coming up in my mind when, when I was writing it. Uh, And it was really that, I mean, it was written um, before the latest budget came out, but I must have been sensing that that was going to be the budget because uh, that, you know, that seemed to me, the budget seemed to me to focus uh, precisely on that and really to tell us that, um, you know, some things were, you know, some, some people are just not worth um, thinking about or, you know, helping in any way or having any compassion for, and therefore the judgment about the people who are going to do well in the world we live in is being made by, is being made according to certain criteria, which I think are um, uh, well, make me quite angry. Um, the, I mean, the the question that that Nadia asked me was, you know, what makes you angry? So that the, the play is really a response to to that. You know, Tim Blake, I think you've also written a play that is a celebration of, of kindness. You know, actually, of softness, of beauty in the world. I, I think you could talk about value, and I don't think those things are really valued at the moment, right? Like, we sort of seem to value hard skills, we seem to value tangible results. We don't really think about it in such great detail, a sort of feeling, actually, and sort of appreciation and slowness, I think. And what your characters paint really beautifully, actually, and Val in particular, is a gentle, like, taking your time um, to sort of let things settle and sit. And I think we're, I don't know, we're in such a rush. And I think there's real beauty in that. I'd say when, when I was reading it, it feels um, intensely human, if that makes sense. Like there's a real humanity that comes through. It, it's, it feels very human and obviously very timely, which is, which is kind of the point of the series, I suppose. Um, and you mentioned when, so when Nadia approached you to write a piece, um, and she wanted you to write what made you angry. So I was going to say, um, why this piece and why now? 
I have to say, when she first um, asked me this, I thought, well, th there are about 15 things, you know, so <laughs> what, um, which I could rattle off. Uh, and in fact, I, it, I started a whole discussion with a friend of mine about, you know, what made us angry, but but I won't go into that. Um, but th that's the, uh, you, you know, a writer is instinctive, and that's the thing that, si that simply came to me um, at that moment. And I think it did have to do with, with the conversations that are going on and, the, you know, the conversations particularly with with our chancellor and our prime minister and um, around refugees and um, and and you know the, the kind of cruelty that I think is 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 seeping into um, British life at the moment I mean not all of British life but a lot of um, you know a, a lot of the life we lead at the moment and it it came about, I heard a bit of a conversation, I think it was on, on a, I mean, on the radio um, about, um, I, think, I think it was, you know, the moral maze or something, but it was somebody's intervention and it was a young man pretty much saying what, you know, what Nat says, which was, which was really, um, you know, my life has been, has been destroyed in the last two years. And I also wanted to try to show that a little bit, you know, that it, it's not been easy for somebody who is, you know, young, ambitious, you know, doesn't have necessarily, you know, help or backing or anything and who feels that, you know, they too have to make their way in the world. So, I mean, I hope I've given, you know, also try to balance it a little bit. I mean, obviously I know where I stand, but, you know, there, 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 is, um, there is another argument. So that's, that's really how it came about. And the, it was more the anger in this, um, the, this voice I heard on the radio and I sort of was listening to it and I thought, oh gosh, you know, there is this feeling out there as well. You know, it, it has to be modified in some way or it has to be helped or it, it you know, we can't, it's going to be awful for people to go through their lives, you know, with that feeling. And, um, and then the damage, you know, perpetuate, perpetuates itself. Yeah, definitely. I think it highlights all that sort of intergenerational conflict. And then at the crux of it, it's how those in power manage to turn people against each other to deflect from attention of who's actually in power. I think it does it so beautifully. It's a really complicated question, isn't it? And actually, I think you raise, even though it's about these two characters, there is, you know, like you say, Tim, there is something really true about what Nat says. And the world is broken, you know? And there are too many people and we're consuming too much and we're breaking the planet and there's not enough resource to go around and there aren't enough jobs. Like, there isn't enough, some might say. And so how we navigate that over the next 5, 10, 15, 50, if we're lucky enough, 75 years of humanity, it's a question and it's a pressing one. And I'm not suggesting we start asking people to top themselves, but that something does have to give, right? And human beings are destroying the planet. That is irrefutable. And so how do we um, change the way that we live? I don't know. Or how do we create a new social code to kind of facilitate our own survival, I think is actually a really exciting question. So yes, it's about all the things that we talked about earlier in terms of kindness and how we treat each other and um, politics with a big P, but there are also sort of slightly more pressing questions, I think, as well about um, the, the future of humanity and mankind, you know? Mm, definitely. And I suppose with that in mind, um, as this this is a play in a day, um, how are you approaching it? I, I I hadn't been feeling too anxious or nervous about it, but, 
but now you are making me feel like you that. Are. Do you know what I mean? And now I feel like I've missed the trick. <laughs> good. Pressure is always good. <laughs> I'm really looking forward to, to, to being in a room on, on Tuesday with, with Timberlake uh, and Sarah and Simon and sort of just sitting down with the play and just asking the questions that, you know, I would normally ask at the start of any rehearsal process. And yeah, of course, it's expedited. But at the same time, you know, we all have a really clear sense, I think, of what the shape and the, the, the sort of the thrust of, of the play is. So I think I don't want to be too rigid about it and too structured about it. I think there'll be a certain amount of things that kind of come out of the morning. And, you know, like you say, there, there's something rather beautiful about having the pressure of needing to put something in front of an audience by um, that evening. The reason I write plays is, you know, precisely so that a director and, you know, actors can take it over and, um, you know, do something with it and 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 make it better. And um, it's one of the pleasures actually of of writing plays that you end up in a room with people working, trying to work through things that you you know I've written sort of in a, in a solitary you know in a, at a moment of, of of solitude, but which are not totally formulated. And there's something wonderful about when things begin to go. Um, begin to be manifested and embodied and directed and um that's that's uh, that's kind of the you know the pleasure of the, the one pleasure of being a playwright one of the few <laughs> yeah definitely it's that it's that cooking process where that that's where the excitement can sometimes really come to the fore um i suppose if if anything what are you hoping that audiences leave with after the play i i mean i always want audiences to to leave with the questions you know not not with answers but just with to keep asking some questions or you know one question to lead to another question um that's all you know I, I i don't you know i'm not trying to convince anyone of everything but just to to you know, just to open up something open up an area of discussion or thought or realization or not or contradiction that's 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 all and I I mean that's all but that's also a lot you know so I that's that's what I hope for particularly with this one as it's a sort of momentary one and and um you know it's on for one night and I just hope the audience uh, goes out saying oh yeah let's uh you know I feel something and also I'm thinking something I mean both equally uh, are equally important to me that's a really hard answer to follow <laughs> you know I, I think Yes, all of the above, I concur. Um, you know, you want them to be delighted, I think, and you want them to be surprised too. You know, it's off the back of a of Easter bank holiday weekend, you know, I think people have plans and sometimes I think there's a bit of inertia in terms of going back to the theatre, going to the theatre, especially at the start of the week when you've had four days off. And I think if people can come on Tuesday evening and, and see it and sort of think actually, I'm so pleased I left my home. I'm so pleased I got on a tube or walked or got on my bike or whatever it is and went to the theatre and had an evening with other people, shared with other people, and to ask those questions, to feel a little bit, then that's a real win, isn't it? Yeah, definitely. Um, moving away from the play in The Expendables for a moment, I wanted to ask you both what your own influences and inspirations were. I mean, for me, it's, uh, you, you know, I, I grew up in the Basque country and I spent the last 14 months in the Basque country, where, which is a place where a lot of questions are being asked, you know, partly because the, the you know, the, the language is 
being protected and is constantly under threat. So the sense of threat and the sense of how you defend, um, you know, how you defend the planet, how you defend your language, you know, what it means to defend something from erosion, you know, political erosion or, uh, you know, from any kind of destructive erosion. Uh, I think that's that's had a great influence and particularly as I was there for, for a long time recently. Um, I mean, other than that, you, you know, everything, everything is an influence, you know, every, everything I've seen, everything I've read. But I would say, I mean, specifically at the moment, I would say it was that experience of um, being in a, um, I mean, it's a culture I know very well because I grew up in it, but then finding that culture again, uh, and particularly the sense of the need to protect, you know, what is good about um, what we have, which is language, humanity, um, and land as well, you know. Anthony, you talked about the planet. I mean, that that's not the subject of the play, but that that's always in the background. But I have this theory that, like, work and writing in particular um, is so influenced subconsciously by the geography of the place that we live in or we write in, you know. And, and you know, you sort of, those Russian novels are, big and sweeping and vast because that's the land, right? And you sort of look at some of the writers from, from New York or it's big cities and it's claustrophobic and it's tight. And uh, yeah, I don't know how, uh, and maybe that's me doing writers of the service, but I don't know how conscious that the kind of environment seeps into the work that's on your page. So hearing you talk about your influences being the place that you're in and where you're at, it makes so much sense to me, you know? Um, yeah, I'm, I'm sort of fascinated by the, the, the sort of dramaturgy of landscape and geography. Um, I'm a Philistine, and so if you're going to ask me about influences and <laughs> inspirations, I grew up not being really allowed to watch cartoons, but spending a lot of time sneaking downstairs when I should have been doing my homework, watching Tom and Jerry instead, and Looney Tunes, you know, and that sort of thing was big for me growing up, um, and I sort of read a lot of... Uh, so Enid Brighton did this really weird series of books about the faraway tree and there's a guy with a moon for a face and there were the three bears and these kids going on adventures up a tree you know that that sort of stuff has really stuck with me and stayed with me and feeds a lot of my work I suppose and the way I think and see the world and um, I guess that comes from a sort of uh, a playfulness but a sort of also in those cartoons in those worlds Rules don't really exist. Structures don't really exist. You create your own sense of physics, right? Uh, and for me, I think there's something really exciting about the work that we do on our stages where we create our own physics. We create our own rules and our own laws of what something means or what something looks like or what something feels like. And to me, that, that that's really exciting. And that's always sort of, has always been the starting point for me when I've been making a piece of work between a, the, a writer uh, or a designer and I. It's sort of, what are the images that stand out? What are the things that feel surprising? What are the things that resonate for us in a way that might not be immediate on a page that might feel slightly abstract, but actually through the distillation of a, a narrative arc actually makes a lot of sense. That's, um, I, that's absolutely fascinating. I'm going to watch cartoons with a completely new, um, you know, a, a new interest, actually. Um, I'd never thought of them that way, but of course, you're, you're absolutely right. <laughs> yeah, definitely. And actually, this is also on a tangent separately with cartoons, watching them as a, as a kid and then re-watching them as an adult, you just pick up on so many more things and they can actually be quite subversive 
so to kind of wrap up, I've got some quick fire recommendation questions for you both. So you don't have to, don't think about it and you don't need to explain it. But if I ask you to recommend an album, what would you recommend? That's a hell of a question. That's not even fair. You can't, you can't ask that question. You can't answer that. Oh, I can. And I did. <laughs> uh, the album I'm listening to a lot at the moment is uh, Frank Ocean's Blonde. Um, I've just sort of gone back to it, having sort of listened to it uh, a long time ago when it first came out. I sort of just, I think I probably listened to it too much, but recently it's sort of come back again. Great. Yeah, we definitely need more, a new Frank album soon. How about you, Timberlake? I've just blanked out now. Um, who wrote Alleluia? Leonard Cohen. Yes. Yeah. I mean, I uh, go back to Leonard Cohen again and again and again. I mean, that, that uh, because, really because of his, not just his music, but his writing. Sure, that question is so hard because um, I, I, I realised the other day, I've stopped listening to albums, I, you know, because of the way that music exists now, mm-hmm. um, in terms of Spotify and things always on shuffle or the radio, like the joy of listening to an album from the first track to the last and respecting the the structure in which an artist has kind of, the time that they've spent to kind of create something, that's gone. Mm-hmm. Spotify's killed that, mm-hmm. you know? And, and so actually it's really hard for me to kind of be like, oh, that's the album that I kind of go back to. Frank Ocean is an exception, but I, I think there is something really powerful about records where you have to listen to the, the whole thing. You can't skip, well, you know, you can skip track, but really you, you put a record on and you listen to the whole thing and you appreciate uh, an artist's work and their release in, in the way that they intended it. And there, there's something really magical about that, which I don't do enough of. No, definitely. And I think it's, it's interesting you say that because I also get, when I ask that question or for that recommendation, I often get oh, but for what for what mood for what experience for what for what time, um, so yeah, it is a that's why we asked them. Um, and then Ooh. if I can ask you to recommend a book, okay, so I'm going to recommend Emily Dickinson, okay, uh, because again, uh, I mean, I love reading poetry. Absolutely, it's something you can do in two when you have two minutes, or you can spend an hour with it. I think you can go to Emily Dickinson again and again because she is both. It's, it's both visceral and also she has a sense of landscape of, of the world, you know, the world, the immediate world, you know, the bees and, you know, things like that. And yet her abstraction, you know, her trying to understand, I mean, her metaphysical sense is also absolutely extraordinary. I also wanted to recommend, um, I mean, I noticed it's been turned into uh, a series, but um, a book I absolutely loved was Station Eleven, which I read actually t- two years ago, you know, before the pandemic, I mean, before COVID struck. And I remember reading it and thinking, oh, this is, this is a wonderful book, but it's a little bit um, science fiction. Uh, and it, it's about what happens to society, you know, when, when a plague strikes. absolutely wonderful book. I don't know what the, what the series is going to be like, but the book is fabulous. Just a quick interruption here. Timberlake got in touch after this interview and wanted me to mention that she'd love to recommend the works of Ukrainian writer Oksana Zaborska and her short stories, Your Ad Could Go Here. Back to the interview. The first thing that comes to mind, uh, you know, because it's been really sunny outside, I, every year I, I allow myself to read a, a, a John le Carre every year as in the summertime, normally when I'm on holiday, because I sort of feel like it has the least amount to do with my work and it doesn't make me think um and it just it's like trash it's trash it's netflix right and um i can say that 
he's not around to you know sue me um <laughs> but there's one book in particular i well i was i was in the Basque country last year um and at that time i was reading uh honorable schoolboy um which is like the second in like the carla trilogy um so you've got that like, tinker taylor soldier spy is the first one and then it's the honorable schoolboy uh, half of which takes place in hong kong and at the time it was against the backdrop of all the protests in Hong Kong and so my, my, my mum and dad sort of came to this country in the 70s and sort of growing up I, I would go to Hong Kong uh, every year or every couple of years and I've still got a family over there but it's been a few years since I've been there obviously because of the pandemic also because it's just a tricky place at the moment um, but I do remember being in France and, and sort of not doing very much and, and just reading that and feeling very sort of nostalgic for a Hong Kong that I never knew and isn't worth being nostalgic for because it was very problematic um, and there were lots of people who were unhappy, the society was unequal and yet there was a sort of very romantic idea of that time and that place through a very specific lens um, and, and I don't know, I, I sort of really found myself lost in it and part of that is the writing part of it is the fact that it is just a page turner and part of it was the sort of the the mundane domestic detail that really painted the picture of a place at a very specific time nice and then the final one is whether you can recommend a film on too sharp there's a french film uh, with omar sai in it where he looks after a man who's a paraplegic uh, it's the most brilliantly funny and beautiful film um, that would be my recommendation. I, the, the, the film I've never forgotten, it was on about, I think five or six years ago, is an Argentinian film with three stories. One in which, um, you know, people are in an airplane uh, and they discover that they all know each other. Wild Tales. Wild Tales, that's exactly, yeah. Five shorts all about revenge. Yeah. Oh, and I, I, it's just, um, I, I, it's again, it's an unforgettable, it's an unforgettable film. Argentinian director and extremely funny. I mean, I'm usually quite reserved in the cinema, but I just remember, I mean, I, I was just I, you know, laughing. I, I just couldn't stop laughing and, you know, really, I mean, everybody else was laughing as well. But uh, and it's also, I mean, it's, it's more than just funny, but it is, it is a wonderful, it's a wonderful, fanciful, beautiful film. And the other one, of course, is the latest Almodava, which is absolutely wonderful, you know, um, the, the two women, which has is, which is, which is, which is just come out recently. Amazing. Well, thank you so much for those recommendations and for, for speaking to me today. Um, I can't wait to see The Expendables. A massive thank you to Timberlake and Anthony for talking with me and you can see their play The Expendables here at Stratford East on Tuesday the 19th of April as part of our Burn It Down series. Stay tuned for more interviews.